Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Allison podcast episode is brought to you by you, the listeners. A big thank you to everyone that's contributed a dollar or more per episode via my subscription-based funding platform at patreon.com slash oceanallison. And for those that haven't, visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this week's episode. This episode's Ocean Advocate is Dr. Ileana Bombs. Ileana is an associate professor at Pennsylvania State University studying the evolution and ecology of corals, both in shallow waters as well as in the deep sea. Hi, Ileana. Welcome to the show. Hey, Allison. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm very excited to talk with you more about your research and share your story and our recent expedition together with my listeners. So listeners, to give you a little bit of background on why and how Ileana is joining me today on the show, Ileana and I were just recently on expedition in the Gulf of Mexico together, um, an eco-gig expedition where she was the chief scientist on board this 250-foot research vessel with 16 scientists and 24 crew members, and she was in charge of making sure that all of our science goals and, you know, everything was working properly and running smoothly, and uh, we were able to, to do that to achieve all of our science goals. So I'm really excited to have her on the show here today to not only highlight her as a coral scientist, but also to highlight the work that we were just doing on this eco-gig expedition studying the deep sea Gulf of Mexico. So... Ileana, I want to start out by kind of backtracking a little bit before we get into your research and this expedition we were just on. What was your relationship like with the ocean growing up? Because you are from Germany. Um, you know, there's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of ocean there. What was your yeah. what was that like for you growing up? Well, so in Germany, we have six weeks of summer vacation and um, my family and I, we would go to Greece all summer long. We would camp and be on the beach for six weeks. And so I got to know the Mediterranean really well. We'd swim and snorkel. And I think that's really what sparked my love for the ocean. And specifically, the ferries we would take from Italy to Greece, those usually take uh, two days and a night, and we would often sleep on deck and uh, just enjoy the journey across the ocean. And uh, that's some of my most vivid memories growing up. So even though you were you know, growing up in Germany, most of the time you got these amazing experiences with the ocean. And from there, you, after you got your undergraduate degree in Germany, you went on to study at University of Miami, as well as in Hawaii. And now you're at Penn State, like I mentioned in the intro. And the kind of common theme that we see throughout all of your research is that you are a coral scientist. You love to study corals. So what drew you to studying corals in the first place? Well, interesting. I uh, After my A-level exams in Germany, so this is our exit exams from uh, high school, basically, 
I did a year of general studies. This is a year where you can try out all kinds of different areas and figure out what it is that you really want to do. And initially, I was uh, drawn to both law and to biology, at least theoretically. So <laughs> I, I sat at a lecture on law for, I don't know, I think I went twice. And then it was so incredibly boring. I, I said, there's no way I can get through a whole four years of, of a law degree. And uh, at the same time, I had visited a couple of universities to look at biology programs. And I went to one in Kia and happened to be in a lecture where a young female professor, which is really quite unusual at the time, having a young female professor at a German university. And uh, she talked about coral reefs and she was so enthusiastic about it. And I, I just knew that was going to be it that like studying coral reefs was, was, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, that kind of settled it. And the reason I went to Miami was because my undergraduate institution had exchanged programs with several universities. And one of them was Miami. And I realized that that was going to be my chance to chase that dream to study corals. Like I mentioned in the intro as well, you study both shallow water corals and deep water corals, which I think is really amazing, especially after going on this expedition together recently and studying deep sea corals. I just love that you get to connect the deep with the shallow through this similar organism. So can you describe for listeners and myself, what are the main similarities and differences between shallow water corals and deep water corals? Because they are similar in some ways, but they're also very different in other ways. Yeah, I think what. I find so fascinating about the marine world in general is that, you know, we're such land animals. We are used to, to breathing air, walking upright. You know, our senses are absolutely matched to living on land. And to understand an ecosystem in such a different environment is a real challenge. And I love that. And uh, when I began studying the shallow waters, that was quite interesting to start out with, just being underwater for, for a length of time using scuba and really trying to understand what it is like to be an animal that's sessile, that doesn't move, that lives in partnership with, a, with an alga. So it gets its main nutrition from photosynthesis like a plant would. And this lifestyle is just so different from our own. I, I found that a real fascinating challenge to, to get my head around. And then in the same vein, really, I, I was interested in the deep sea because that's yet another step, right? This is, it's permanent darkness and it's very deep and it's really stable in a lot of ways. There's almost no seasons that you can notice other than a change in the amount of food that sort of rains from above, but temperatures almost are the same all year round. There's very little large-scale disturbances compared to what you would see in a shallow reef. You know, shallow reefs are incredibly disturbed. They get hurricanes and large waves and... and um, Temperature differences. Temperature differences, exactly. Like bleaching events like we've had the past couple of years. And in the winter, sometimes in Florida, it gets incredibly cold. You get cold water coming up from the deep and um, moving into the shallows. So... You know, shallow reefs are incredibly disturbed and they're attuned to it. I mean, they have evolved with this disturbance, whereas deep corals 
live in um, a very different environment. It's it's much more stable, much less disturbed. So, I mean, the obvious differences, of course, are you know the absence of light in the deep, but I think it goes way beyond that. So there is also, of course, different species, different species composition, and deep corals don't build the same impressive reef structures that we see in the shallow. And yet, if you experience them, you still understand how important those deep sea corals are in providing habitat for lots of other critters, very similar to what we see in the shallow water as well. Mm -hmm. And so because there's that lack of light in the deep sea, a big difference is that the deep sea corals don't have those symbiotic algae that are doing photosynthesis, right? Exactly right. But uh, we are starting to look into, and this is part of my ongoing research with my lab, is looking into the other partners that we find in coral. So these are bacteria and viruses. It turns out that they play an important role both in the deep and in the shallow water corals. Yeah, and so I want to focus on deep sea corals for the rest of our conversation because that is what our most recent EcoGig expedition was about, um, although I think we could probably talk about shallow water corals all day too. But mm-hmm. um, So this expedition that we just went on, I'm mentioning that it's an EcoGig expedition. Can you give us a little bit of background? What is EcoGig and how did you get involved with EcoGig? EcoGig is a direct result of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. So when the Deepwater Horizon tragedy happened in the aftermath, there was a a research program set up. And as part of that research program, several consortia were funded to study the impacts of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And EcoGig is one of those consortia it's uh, a collaboration amongst uh, 30 scientists and is led by Mandy Joy from the University of Georgia. And we are concerned with understanding how the deep water horizon oil spill affected the deep Gulf of Mexico. So we are already in our second iteration. This is our second period of funding. And we're hoping to be able to continue uh, for a third period of funding to really tie together our understanding of how the deep sea bent the community, so the bottom interacted with the water column above it, and how the animals played a role in uh, the aftermath of the oil spill and what impact that oil spill had. And it's important to understand that the deep Gulf of Mexico is really rich in methane and oil which is the reason why we have so much oil drilling in the deep sea, in the Gulf of Mexico. So our focus has been to try to understand how a man-made oil spill differs from having natural oil and methane leak out into the water column and into the um, shallow sediment in the deep Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, and so... During this Jewels of the Gulf expedition, we were calling that Jewels of the Gulf, referring to these corals as the jewels of the deep sea. During that expedition, we were using an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle. We're sending it down thousands of meters into the deep sea to study just what you were saying. How were these corals and their surrounding communities affected by the largest oil spill in history? And you were also mentioning places where oil and methane, these these gases 
naturally come out of the sea floor and how those affect corals. So can you kind of describe the differences of visiting the sites where we were looking at the impacts of Deepwater Horizon and then looking at these sites where there was naturally occurring oil coming out of the ground? So we had really two main missions uh, during this expedition. And one was to continue our long-term monitoring of corals that that are growing very close to the actual uh, Makando wellhead site. Uh, my colleague at Penn State, Chuck Fisher, and his collaborators had documented over the past few years how some of those corals were directly impacted by the oil spill itself. So those corals were injured during the oil spill. And in this, in this monitoring program, we're documenting their recovery as well as continued impacts uh, from that original injury. And the impacted corals are, of course, compared to control sites where um, no oil was documented and the corals were not directly injured by that oil spill. And our second mission was to look at the sites where we have natural oil and gas seeps in the sea floor. And there are some corals that naturally occur close to these uh, seeps and uh, oil areas. And then we paired them with sites that are uh, away from those active oil and methane seeps. And we want to understand how this continuous exposure to oil and gas affect the coral animals as well as specifically their bacterial associates. We also are comparing the bacterial associates we find in the corals with those that are in the sediment and in the water column because we are suspecting that there are feedback mechanisms between the bacterial communities in, in those parts of the ecosystem. Another big aspect of what we were doing was imaging corals, imaging corals in the exact same angle and exact same, you know, direction Mm -hmm. and shot year after year. Can you talk about that continued monitoring visually of some of the corals that were affected by the oil spill? Again, yeah, this is work by uh, our, my colleague at Penn State, Chuck Fisher and his graduate students. Fanny Girard and uh, what they have done is developed a method where we are able to track the fate of single polyps and single little branchlets of these coral colonies year after year. The reason why we can do this is because the growth form of these corals is very uh, two-dimensional. They look like fans basically and so um, when we go down, we have these big um, muckshot books, basically, of coral colonies where we recognize each one of them and we match our orientation and distance from the colony to what we had in the previous year. So we can take photos that are very comparable and then we use image analysis software to basically trace each single little branch in the coral colony and match it. Uh, to what was there the previous year. And that allows you to then look at how fast the corals are growing, which parts of the coral are missing, uh, whether there are any animals that have settled on the corals. For example, these have often brittle stars that live on on the coral colonies or whether any other critters have settled on them. With this very careful imaging, we can really trace the fate of these colonies year after year after year. 
Yeah, and what are we seeing? The Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened in 2010, so it's been seven years since. And I yeah. know that this image monitoring occurs at least once a year, sometimes twice a year since yeah. then. Mm-hmm. What are we seeing with the corals that were heavily affected by the oil spill? Well, there's some good news and some bad news. So the good news is that we do see some recovery. Some of the corals, at least, are starting to grow again. But there's also long-term effects, negative effects of the oil spill in that we still see some branch loss. So corals uh, are still losing branches uh, from that original injury. And so just like what you would expect, you know, such a large-scale disturbance event has both very immediate consequences as well as long-term effects on the health of the coral populations. What about future generations of these corals? Because these corals grow very, very slowly, and, you know, they're in cold water, darkness, and we also don't really know a lot about how, how exactly they reproduce. So what can, mm-hmm. what can you note about kind of the future of these corals beyond just seven years after the spill? Well, the short answer is we really don't know. These corals are going to produce eggs and sperm at some point during their life cycle. And these eggs and sperm are then released into the water column where they fertilize and develop into gametes and larvae. And those larvae travel in the water column for some time before they settle back out onto the seafloor metamorphose and grow into a new coral colony. It's very similar to what you know from from frogs, how they reproduce. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't really know with this particular species that we've been monitoring what their sexual reproductive cycles are like. So we don't have a real good way of measuring whether the output of eggs and sperm has suffered from the impacts of the deep water horizon. However, we know from research in shallow water corals that indeed oil spills do affect sexual reproduction in corals. Uh, The larvae themselves are very sensitive to um, especially the dispersants and dispersed oils. This is the uh, chemicals that were used during the cleanup of the oil spill. And we uh, are suspecting that the amount of energy that was required for the corals to recover from their injuries took away from energy that would otherwise have been devoted to sexual reproduction. But uh, we don't really have hard data to quantify what that impact actually was. And this really highlights difficulties of working with these deep sea corals where, you know, we visit them once or twice a year if we're lucky. And these type of research that require kind of continuous visits to observe such things as sexual reproductive events are really incredibly challenging uh, for animals that are so remote. I think you touched on this a little bit, but I want to just kind of go over it because I think it's important. We're spending so much time and and money and energy studying these deep sea corals in the aftermath of this oil spill. What's so special about these corals? Why do we kind of singularly uh, seek out these corals in the deep sea? Well, the deep sea is, um, you know, it's it's an interesting place. For vast expenses, there is not much structure to it. You know, there's a lot of mud, flat sediment down there. There's the occasional rock outcrops. And these corals really provide three-dimensional structure in, in this landscape or the seascape. 
And this attracts a lot of associated invertebrates as well as fish. And those have a connection to the shallower water and therefore also a connection to, to us, to humans, to our economy and to fishing, for example, to the health of the ocean in general. And so we refer to these corals as habitat builders. You know, they're the foundation of these ecosystems, just like trees build a forest. These corals are what builds these deep sea coral ecosystems. And what kind of animals were we seeing? Can you describe some of them that we were seeing on this most recent expedition living on or around these corals? So there's the ones that are directly associated with the corals, such as brittle stars. There's crabs that live on the corals. We see mussels and clams. We saw a lot of fish, octopus, um, squids, all kinds of jellies, tinophores, for example. We see tube worms that are really interesting, also habitat-providing um, animals. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you remember? What did you see? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely the octopus was a highlight. I yeah. was walking around down there. And um, also, the I really enjoyed seeing the cat shark eggs. So, That's right, yeah. Yeah, so listeners, some species of sharks lay eggs, if you didn't know that already. And there's these cat sharks. They're relatively small. I think the ones that I saw were around two feet long. And they have these amazing patterns on them. But they lay their eggs, their, their egg cases, on some of these deep-sea corals that we're studying. And so some of them, these beautiful, brightly colored corals, were just covered in shark egg cases, these little tiny developing baby sharks inside there. So that was, that was really cool for me because I often see shark egg cases for shallow water species, but I had never seen them for deep water. So it was really cool. Yeah, yeah actually, we noticed that the... Uh... The cat sharks seem to have done quite a number on the corals as well. So that process of, of attaching the eggs to the corals is something that the corals don't seem to particularly enjoy. Interesting. Yeah, so there's there's so much we can learn. So we're just talking about these organisms that we got to see that were really exciting and interesting for us to get to look at through this ROV that we sent down. For you, as a deep sea scientist, I know you've been on many deep sea expeditions over the years. Why do you enjoy studying the deep sea? What, what about it is exciting or interesting to you? I think, you know, I touched upon that a little bit earlier, is this, this um, challenge of really trying to get my head around this very different environment. So as a, as a marine biologist or as a molecular ecologist as well, is I am trying to understand the interaction between the animals and how the animals interact with their environment. And for this, you kind of have to get a sort of feeling for what looks normal and what looks out of place, what's interesting, what's different, you know, is there any kind of disturbance? But to be able to detect that, you really have to get sort of an image in your head of what's, what is expected, right? And so that just takes a while. It takes, takes being there and, and experiencing the ecosystem over and over again to, to look for those exceptions or anomalies. And I, I really enjoy that challenge. Now, the other aspect of this is that we think that uh, some of these deep sea corals actually gave rise to uh, the shallow corals that we see. And so in a way, it's, uh, it's looking at the ancestral state of shallow water corals. So I think I uh, learn a lot about the functioning of shallow water e ecosystems by also studying the deep. And so what are the implications of 
this research that EcoGig is doing, studying these deep sea corals and their surrounding ecosystems um, in the Gulf of Mexico in response to the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, what are we hoping to inform or potentially could make change from this research? I think for me, what the most immediate sort of important finding was from our experimental work is that the uh, dispersant that was used to disperse the oil. Which is basically a chemical substance that was sprayed across the Gulf of Mexico. That's right. Yeah. And it helped to break up the oil, which was important to prevent um, these big oil slicks uh, coming ashore. But it turned out that they really are quite difficult for the corals to deal with. And so I think there's some real need to develop some chemicals that are not quite as um, detrimental to deep sea life as the current dispersants are. Beyond the immediate response and what we could potentially change in the event of a potential future oil spill, what could we uh, do in general to kind of protect these deep sea ecosystems in the Gulf of Mexico? I think we need to really think about the risk involved in uh, our drilling activities, you know, so accidents happen and um, we now understand how extensive those coral ecosystems are in deep gulf and what uh, potential effects there are from from our drilling activities. So I think that's really something we need to keep in mind when we look for future exploration. We also learned a lot of uh, additional information about the connectedness of the ocean surface with the um, plankton that's in the water column, both uh, this includes, you know, larvae of all kinds of uh, animals, as well as algae that live in the water column, and how all of that is connected to the to, to the sea floor. Uh, I think we gained a lot of understanding over the past few years on exactly how that works in the deep sea uh, and in the Gulf of Mexico specifically. So our understanding of how the Gulf works has really increased dramatically. Yeah, that's kind of been the silver lining of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill is that all this funding came through and now our understanding of the deep Gulf of Mexico is just that much better, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this cruise for me was a really exciting and a wonderful, wonderful trip because we had a fantastic team and we were so efficient during this cruise, we were able to achieve our goals in record time. And uh, I think this is really because we had such a great team that worked together, uh, including the scientists, as well as the ship and the folks that run the uh, underwater robot that we used, our ROV called the Global Explorer. So we had really a, a, a great cruise and um, I'm thankful for everyone who made that happen. Yeah, and even though our trip Ended a few days early, actually, because of Tropical Storm Cindy that started to form in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, we still got all that science done. That was a really fun and amazing expedition, and I'm happy that you were our chief scientist (laughs) because it all was was really great. So for listeners, if you would like to learn more about Ileana's research and what we talked about today with um, EcoGig as well, I'm going to be linking to the EcoGig website. That's E-C-O-G-I-G dot org. So you can go there to learn more. I'll also be linking to Ileana's lab website at Pennsylvania State University, and I'll also link to her Twitter account so you guys can follow her there 
share and stay up to date with her current research. So, Ileana, I want to thank you so much for all the positive things that you are doing for the ocean and studying shallow water corals as well as deep water corals in response to changes that are occurring in our world ocean. And I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, same here, Allison. Thanks so much for taking the time to talking with me. You just heard Dr. Ileana Bombs, Associate Professor at Pennsylvania State University, studying the evolution and ecology of corals, both in shallow waters as well as in the deep sea. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com and tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.